Section 33 of The World War. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avai in April 2021. The World's Story, Volume 15. The World War. Edited by Horatio W. Dresser. Section 33 entrenched with the austrians in galicia 1914 by fritz kreisler just then our own artillery came thundering up occupied a little hill in the rear and opened fire on the enemy the moral effect of the thundering of one's own artillery is most extraordinary and many of us thought that we had never heard any more welcome sound than the deep roaring and crashing that started in at our rear it quickly helped to disperse the nervousness caused by the first entering into battle and to restore self-control and confidence besides by getting into action our artillery was now focusing the attention and drawing the fire of the russian guns for most of the latter's shells whined harmlessly above us, being aimed at the batteries in our rear. Considerably relieved by this diversion, we resumed our forward movement after about fifteen minutes of further rest, our goal being the little chain of hills which our advance guard had previously occupied pending our arrival. Here we were ordered to take up positions and dig trenches, any further advance being out of the question as the russian artillery overlooked and commanded the entire plain stretching in front of us we started at once to dig our trenches half of my platoon stepping forward abreast the men being placed an arm's length apart after laying their rifles down barrels pointing to the enemy a line was drawn behind the row of rifles and parallel to it then each man would dig up the ground starting from his part of the line backwards throwing forward the earth removed until it formed a sort of breastwork the second half of the platoon was meanwhile resting in the rear rifle in hand and ready for action after a half hour they took the place of the first division at work and vice versa within an hour work on the trenches was so far advanced that they could be deepened while standing in them such an open trench affords sufficient shelter against rifle bullets striking from the front and can be made in a measure shell-proof by being covered with boards if at hand and with sword where we were in galicia at the beginning of the war with conditions utterly unsteady and positions shifting daily and hourly only the most superficial trenches were used in fact we thought ourselves fortunate if we could requisition straw enough to cover the bottom that afternoon we had about finished our work when our friend the aeroplane appeared on the horizon again this time it immediately opened fire it disappeared but apparently had seen enough for very soon our position was shelled by this time however shrapnel had almost ceased to be a source of concern to us and we scarcely paid any attention to it human nerves quickly get accustomed to the most unusual conditions and circumstances 
and i noticed that quite a number of men actually fell asleep from sheer exhaustion in the trenches in spite of the roaring of the cannon about us and the whizzing of shrapnel over our heads at nine o'clock in the morning everything was ready to receive the enemy the men taking a short and well-deserved rest in the trenches while we officers were called to the colonel who acquainted us with the general situation and giving his orders addressed us in a short business-like way appealing to our sense of duty and expressing his firm belief in our victory we all knew that this martial attitude and abrupt manner were a mask to hide his inner self full of throbbing emotion and tender solicitude for his subordinates and we returned to our trenches deeply moved the camp was absolutely quiet the only movements being around the field kitchens in the rear which were being removed from the battle line a half hour later any casual observer glancing over the deserted fields might have laughed at the intimation that the earth around him was harboring thousands of men armed to their teeth and that pandemonium of hell would break loose within an hour barely a soul was audible and a hush of expectancy descended upon us i looked around at my men in the trench some were quietly asleep some writing letters others conversing in subdued and hushed tones every face i saw bore the unmistakable stamp of feeling so characteristic of the last hour before a battle that curious mixture of solemn dignity grave responsibility and suppressed emotion with an undercurrent of sad resignation they were pondering over their possible fate or perhaps dreaming of their dear ones at home by and by even the little conversation ceased and they sat silent waiting and waiting perhaps awed by their own silence sometimes one would bravely try to crack a joke and they laughed but it sounded strained they were plainly nervous these brave men that fought like lions in the open when led to an attack heedless of danger and destruction they felt under a cloud in the security of the trenches and they were conscious of it and ashamed sometimes my faithful orderly would turn his eye on me mute as if in quest of an explanation of his own feeling poor dear unsophisticated boy i was as nervous as they all were although trying my best to look unconcerned but i knew that the hush that hovered around us like a dark cloud would give way like magic to wild enthusiasm as soon as the first shot broke the spell and the exultation of the battle took hold of us all suddenly at about ten o'clock a dull thud sounded somewhere far away from us and simultaneously we saw a small white round cloud about half a mile ahead of us where the shrapnel had exploded the battle had begun other shots followed shortly exploding here and there but doing no harm the russian gunners evidently were trying to locate and draw an answer from our batteries these however remained mute not caring to reveal their position for a long time the russians fired at random mostly at too short range to do any harm 
but slowly the harmless-looking white clouds came nearer, until a shell, whining as it whizzed past us, burst about a hundred yards behind our trench. A second shell followed, exploding almost at the same place. At the same time we noticed a faint spinning noise above us. Soaring high above our position, looking like a speck in the firmament, flew a Russian aeroplane, watching the effect of the shells and presumably directing the fire of the Russian artillery. This explained its sudden accuracy. One of our aeroplanes rose, giving chase to the enemy, and simultaneously got into action. The Russians kept up a sharply concentrated, well-directed fire against our center, our gunners responding gallantly, and the spirited artillery duel which ensued grew in intensity until the entrails of the earth seemed fairly to shake with the thunder. By one o'clock the incessant roaring, crashing, and splintering of bursting shells had become unendurable to our nerves, which were already strained to the snapping point by the lack of action and the expectancy. Suddenly there appeared a thin dark line on the horizon which moved rapidly toward us, looking not unlike a running bird with immense outstretched wings. We looked through our glasses. There could be no doubt it was Russian cavalry swooping down upon us with incredible impetus and swiftness. I quickly glanced at our colonel. He stared open-mouthed. This was, indeed, good fortune for us, too good to believe. No cavalry attack could stand before well-disciplined infantry, providing the latter keep cool and well-composed, calmly waiting until the riders come sufficiently close to take sure aim. There was action for us at last. A sharp word of command, our men scrambled out of the trenches for better view and aim, shouting with joy as they did so. What a change had come over us all! My heart beat with wild exultation. I glanced at my men. They were all eagerness and determination, hand at the trigger, eyes on the approaching enemy, every muscle strained, yet calm, their bronzed faces hardened to immobility, waiting for the command to fire. Every subaltern officer's eye hung on our colonel, who stood about thirty yards ahead of us on a little hill, his figure well defined in the sunlight, motionless, the very picture of calm assurance and proud bearing. He scanned the horizon with his glasses. Shrapnel was hailing around him, but he seemed utterly unaware of it. For that matter, we had all forgotten it, though it kept up its terrible uproar, spitting here and there destruction into our midst. By this time the avalanche of tramping horses had come perceptibly nearer. Soon they would sweep by the bundle of hay which marked the carefully measured range within which our fire was effective. Suddenly the mad stampede came to an abrupt standstill, and then the Cossacks scattered precipitately to the right and left, only to disclose in their rear the advancing Russian infantry, the movements of which it had been their endeavour to veil. The first Russian lines were mowed down as if by a gigantic scythe, 
and so were the reserves as they tried to advance. The first attack had collapsed. After a short time, however, they came on again, this time more cautiously, armed with nippers to cut the barbed wire and using the bodies of their fallen comrades as a rampart. Again they were repulsed. Once more their cavalry executed a feigned attack under cover of which the Russian infantry rallied, strongly reinforced by reserves, and more determined than ever. Supported by heavy artillery fire, their lines rolled endlessly on and hurled themselves against the barbed wire fences. For a short time it almost seemed as if they would break through by sheer weight of numbers. At that critical moment, however, our reserves succeeded in executing a flanking movement. Surprised and caught in a deadly crossfire, the Russian line wavered and finally fled in disorder. All these combined artillery, infantry, cavalry and aeroplane attacks had utterly failed in their object of dislodging our centre or shaking its position, each one being frustrated by the resourceful, cool alertness of our commanding general and the splendid heroism and stoicism of our troops. But the strain of the continuous fighting for nearly the whole day, without respite of any kind, or chance for food or rest, in the end told on the power of endurance of our men, and when the last attack had been successfully repulsed, they lay mostly prostrated on the ground, panting and exhausted. Our losses had been very considerable too, stretcher-bearers being busy administering first aid and carrying the wounded back to the nearest field hospital, while many a brave man lay stark and still. By eight o'clock it had grown perceptibly cooler. We now had time to collect our impressions and look about us. The Russians had left many dead on the field, and at the barbed wire entanglement which our sappers had constructed as an obstacle to their advance, their bodies lay heaped upon each other looking not unlike the more innocent bundles of hay laying in the field. We could see the small red cross-parties in the field climbing over the horribly grotesque tumuli of bodies, trying to disentangle the wounded from the dead and administer first aid to them. Enthusiasm seemed suddenly to disappear before this terrible spectacle, Life that only a few hours before had glowed with enthusiasm and exultation suddenly paled and sickened. The silence of the night was interrupted only by the low moaning of the wounded that came regularly to us. It was hideous in its terrible monotony. End of section 33